Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll conclude our study of the book of Judges by looking at the last chapter. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Judges 21 and follow along while I read, beginning in verse 1. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin their brother and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those who are left? Since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives. And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come from the camp of Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead four hundred young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock of Remon and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive from the women of Jabesh-Gilead. But they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for the wives of those who are left since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that the tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebanon. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And now the people of Benjamin did so, 
and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there every man to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This strange story closes out the book of Judges. And it may be a story that even offends us as we see women kidnapped and taken away as wives. This all comes about because after Israel battles against the tribe of Benjamin, there are only 600 men left of the whole tribe. No women, no children, only 600 men. And as Israel begins to reflect on what they had done, it strikes them that maybe they shouldn't wipe out an entire tribe of the nation of Israel. Maybe they should do something to preserve it. The problem is that they had made an oath to God that they would not give any of their daughters to the tribe of Benjamin for wives. So for the tribe of Benjamin to perpetuate and to go on and live in their inheritance, they would have to come up with 600 women from somewhere that they could take his wives and begin to have children and raise families and rebuild their cities. So the people of Israel first decided to take an account of all who had come to this assembly where they had decided to make war, and they realized that the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead were not represented in any way. They didn't send anyone to the assembly. They had also made an oath that if anyone didn't show up, that they would destroy that town or that tribe. Jabesh Gilead then was destroyed, but they decided not to kill any virgin women who lived in that town. And they found 400. The problem is they have 600 men they're looking for wives for. So they tell them 200 men of Benjamin who don't have wives yet to go set an ambush near where an annual festival would be held. And when the young women came out to dance the dances, they could go and take a wife of their choosing, and go back to their homeland. And when the fathers and brothers of those women complained, they would explain that Israel had killed all the women in Benjamin, and there had been an oath not to give wives to Benjamin, but since they had been taken, no one would be guilty and Benjamin would be able to repopulate. As I looked through some old commentaries on how different people had dealt with this chapter in the past, I I saw one who said that this chapter uh, describes to us uh, how important it is to be at church, to go to church services. If you miss a church service, you could be destroyed. And they took that notion from the fact that Jabesh Gilead had not attended the assembly. And someone else actually wrote that this chapter speaks to the evils of dancing. There was a bishop who wrote that the ambushes of evil spirits carry away many souls from dancing to a fearful desolation, because in his mind, these women coming out to dance had done something evil, and that's how they were able to be kidnapped. Basically, they deserved it. I'm not sure either of those are accurate. Actually, I'm pretty sure they're both wrong. But I do think there are plenty of lessons for us to learn here. And and something that I want to look at in this episode is the significance of making an oath. Remember both of these events, the destruction of Jabesh Gilead and the stealing of the wives, come about as a result of an oath that Israel had made before God. 
An oath is a very solemn statement or a claim that's used to validate a promise. And in the law of Moses, there were many instructions about the significance of oaths that were made before God and how important it was to keep them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Then later in the same book of Deuteronomy, this time in chapter 23, starting in verse 21, it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed it to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. The instruction to Israel there was very clear. If you make a promise to God, you have to keep it. You have to be very careful to do everything that passed through your lips. And then Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. There God tells Israel that it is very important that if you make a vow invoking the name of God, you have to keep it, or it becomes a false vow, or you invoke the name of God falsely, and that profanes the name of God. So Israel was told, if you make an oath, Make it by the name of God. But once you make it by the name of God, you have to be careful to keep it completely or you profane the name of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up being told that we weren't supposed to make oaths because of things that Jesus said in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus says, you've heard in the law of Moses that if you make an oath, you have to do exactly what you said. But Jesus says, I'm telling you, you shouldn't make an oath at all, because whatever you're swearing on, you have no control over those things. You only have control over yourself and what you say. Again, Jesus talking about oaths in Matthew chapter 23, this time starting in verse 16, says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Here, Jesus seems to almost contradict what he had said in the Sermon on the Mount in the previous verse that we read. 
here he talks about the appropriate ways to make an oath. So when we take all of this together, what is Jesus saying? Is he telling us we can never swear an oath? I think in the first passage, what he's saying is God wasn't looking for people who could force themselves never to swear an oath. He was looking for people who didn't have to swear an oath because their word was their bond. People knew that they could be counted on and trusted. Having to make that solemn promise, having to add that extra layer admits that we might not be trustworthy, so we have to say something extra to prove to you that this time we're telling the truth. Jesus is saying it's better that you're not that kind of person that needs an oath. It's better that you're the kind of person that everyone can trust, that when you say yes or no, that's exactly what they can expect. As he is discussing vows and oaths in Matthew 23, he's talking about the fact that the Pharisees had developed this strange way of making oaths. If you made an oath to certain things, you weren't bound by it. It didn't count. But there were other things that if you made an oath by that, you had to keep it completely. And so Jesus in both passages is kind of making the point that it's foolish to say that some things count and some things don't because they're all tied back to God. And what God had said in the Old Testament was when you swear an oath, swear it by his name. The Pharisees had decided not to do that because they didn't want to make false oaths, so they had decided that some things had a higher rank or priority in oaths, and other things didn't matter that much. So, you know, if I didn't swear by something important, if I swore by the altar or by the temple, it didn't matter if I broke that vow. But if I swore by the gold in the temple or the sacrifice on the altar, then I was somehow more obligated to the oath that I'd made. Jesus's point is, if you're the kind of person that needs to make an oath, then you need to stand by it regardless of what you have sworn by, because ultimately it all goes back to God. And God is the one by whom we should be making our oaths. But when we put all these verses together, we see the the issue that the tribes of Israel had. They did not, under any circumstances, want to break the oath that they had made to God. They needed to keep it. So they started looking for ways that they could help out Benjamin and not break their oath. Because what was most important was keeping the oath they had made to God. And so we see them going to extreme lengths to keep that promise. Scripture is full of promises and oaths and vows that are made in Scripture that were intended to be kept, that were solemn promises. I think about Joseph in the book of Genesis, chapter 47, as he's getting ready to die. He makes his relatives swear that they will take his bones out of Egypt and bury them in the promised land. When Israel is conquering the land of Canaan, the first place they come is to the town of Jericho, and they meet a woman named Rahab who makes them swear that they will protect her in the battle. And her life is spared and and the lives of all of her family because of the oath that was made. These were solemn promises that people went to great lengths to keep because of the significance of the vow that is made. Marriage vows are another example. 
when we go before God and promise to God that we are going to live with someone forever, that we're going to let his Holy Spirit join us together and make us one flesh, we're vowing to God that we won't separate that. Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Marriage vows are very solemn. Scripture talks about the, the need to try to preserve that at all cost. What God has joined together, don't let men tear it apart. I do realize that that takes both people. And sometimes it takes a level of maturity that's not in the relationship, and marriages do end. But a marriage vow is a vow that is made before God and invokes God, and it is made to God. It involves God, and therefore, it's something that we should desperately seek to keep at all cost. We should work every day to make sure that we're fulfilling our vows. And the same kind of language is used when talking about our commitment to God. We're told in Scripture that when we commit ourselves to the Lord, when we call upon the name of the Lord, that we are entering into a binding covenant with God, that we are making a vow with Him to live according to His will, to let Him use us for His purposes as long as we live. Paul talks about sealing that commitment to God with our baptism. It's an oath that we make to God to die to self and to allow him to raise up someone brand new, someone that he can use for his purposes, someone that he can work through to share his mercy and grace with the rest of the world. In keeping that oath, we should go to extreme lengths because we have made a promise to God to live for him. We can only do that through his power, through his enablement, through the spirit of God. But as Paul says, we have to be careful not to quench the spirit because we have made a promise to God to be his vessel. Very often in our Christian walk, our problem is the same as Israel's. We have made a vow to God, but we're often looking for loopholes, things that get us around what we originally promised, ways that we can excuse ourselves from the thing that we promised God. For Israel, they weren't supposed to give their daughters to the tribe of Benjamin, so they allowed Benjamin to steal them, and they thought somehow they had kept their oath. Very often as Christians, we know that we are supposed to do what God wants us to do, but we try to figure out a way to do what we want and get God to be okay with it. We're looking for loopholes in the same way that Israel was. They were making decisions without God. They were making their decisions based on what they felt was in their best interest and asking God to bless that. We have to be careful making decisions without God. See, the real problem for Israel is in the last verse of the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Will we wholeheartedly commit to God as our king and allow him to do whatever he wants to do with our lives because we made that commitment to him? Or will we continue to look for loopholes, making our decisions without God, and in fact, not have a king in our lives either. 
Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.